Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sustaining Open Source Design, the podcast where we talk about the interface of design and open source. How can we get more designers into open source? How can we get more open source into designers? Very excited to be here today. Before I introduce our amazing guest, I want you to know who the other voices are on this podcast. I'm Richard Litauer. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. And we also have on the podcast today, Django Skadupa. Django, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We're in the middle of a heat wave out here in Massachusetts. And boy, howdy, am I glad for air conditioning. Likewise, here in Vermont and in a very not hot place, never been hot in the history of its entire existence. Victory Brown calling in from Lagos, I believe, or Port Harcourt or shoot. Yeah, Lagos. And actually, like Richard said, actually has not been hot recently. It's been raining all day. So, yeah, I like the weather. And I'm sorry, Django, you have to go through that. (laughs) Feel free to visit whenever you like. Excellent. We should all go visit, especially for Oscar next year. But yeah. that's all beside the point. Victory, great to have you. Jango, great to have you. And then calling in from another old place, as we all know, everywhere north of the border is permanently negative 40 degrees Celsius. Calling in from Toronto, we have Vitika Mishra. Vitika, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. And I just learned about Lagos and I checked the temperature. Wow, that's nice. I had no idea like the place has a weather like that. And here it's comparatively warmer, which is unusual, but otherwise it's pretty comfortable. We love summers here. Toronto is amazing. It's like the nicest place on earth. It's really good at just being generally awesome. Vitika is senior product designer at GitLab. At present, her focus is on crafting effective and simplified experience for a continuous integration and deploying code changes in the DevOps lifecycle. Other notable developer-centered product that she has worked on in the past has been OpenShift, the developer console, and enjoys working with open source communities and involving them in the product development workflow, which makes sense for you to be on this podcast. Vitika, can you tell me a bit about how you ended up as the senior product designer at GitLab? It's a story, yes, but it might not be as interesting as other people. I started off my career by working for an organization that was very secretive about whatever they did. And this was the job that I took right out of college. I had a student loan to pay for. I did not think much about it. But I mean, before I could even complete a year there, I was feeling very uncomfortable. And because small little incidents that kept on happening, like each one of us had a camera on our cubicles. And we used to just be called by some third floor personnel for small little things that we did on our own mobile phone devices. And yeah, the incidents did not make sense. There was once an incident when I accidentally took my husband's bag to my office and it had a recorder and he was working on his documentary for Nacho around that time. And most of the audio that he recorded was on that recorder. And my office demanded me to like clean it up before I exit the office because you can't take any data from the office. And there was no proof that I brought the data with me. So all of those experiences combined... I really started to look for literally anything that's the opposite of what I was experiencing at that time. 
And that's when I got to know about Red Hat, actually. And that was my introduction to the open world, the open movement in general. I started off at Red Hat and yeah, eventually, because I really enjoyed it there, I thought I would only take up opportunities which are similar to that. And that's how I ended up here. Can you tell me a bit about what you did at Red Hat? I know it's a very large company, so there's all sorts of places where designers can fit in. Yeah. So at Red Hat, I was a part of the uh, team that was working on OpenShift. But within OpenShift, like it's a big tool. It's a large tool. And my focus was the landing page for the developer console of OpenShift. So what would developers see when they log into OpenShift versus what an administrator would see when they log into OpenShift, that would be like two very different things. And I worked on something called Topology View. I still remember it as one of my favorite projects that I've ever worked in my life so far as a designer. It was really interesting, but what was missing for me there was I did not get to engage with the community as much as a designer working inside Red Hat. So I did not also have any idea about like if anything else or any other organization enables this, but I wanted more. I wanted to experience working for a product that is using open source method of development. And I wanted to like experience more depth. So I started to look for opportunities which are very similar in nature. And honestly, I couldn't find anything beyond GitLab at that time. It could have been my short-sightedness, but that was all that like stood out to me. And that's why I went ahead with that. I love that you want to focus on open source. That makes a ton of sense to me. I have a question which I don't get to ask a lot of guests because not a lot of guests have worked in very close environments. And so we could talk all day about why is open source the best and community way better. We know that there's a lot of great sound clips we can have and stuff. What I'm curious about is, was there anything that was better about design in a really close source or non-open source environment? Is there anything that you miss now? I know that the language you're, you're using makes it sound like, no, it was all horrible. I want to leave. But I'm just curious, is there anything that we could learn from about our open source communities by taking from more close source environments? I being very honest when I'm saying that there's not a single thing that I miss from that environment. Cool. In fact, it amazes me that there was some practices that were really absurd in nature and why certain companies continue to do things in that way. How is it benefiting them financially as well? It's beyond my understanding. The biggest change that I experienced after transitioning out of organizations that were very proprietary and secretive was changing research practices and research kind of, it informs everything in our product designing workflow. And when you do not have access or you don't allow people who are willing to share their thoughts, share their feedback, share their reviews willingly with you, and instead you go and pick people, pay them money and make them talk about something that you want them to talk about. There's a huge difference in the kind of uh, data set or the insights that you receive uh, from such activities. So yeah, that was one. I can like go on about it, but maybe some other time. <laughs> that actually interests me a lot specifically because I've heard, I won't necessarily say the opposite, but I've heard individuals more involved with closed source talk about how much easier it is to encounter or maybe weed through the larger research pool and secure more diverse things as opposed to trying to draw specifically and exclusively from a community of people who are already contributing. So they're like considered within like 
within the community, within the the group of people already working on the project, what is the differences within the research? Could you talk to that a little bit? Like, how does your data set change? Sure. So when we are talking about research in an open environment, I'm not like thinking only about reaching out to, let's say, active community members, but rather about the practice in general. Like when you're using open practices for getting feedback, you're making the whole landscape more accessible for people who are the users of your platform. They might not be like active community members or one of those people who are usually more vocal in a group. You're just making it very much easier and accessible. Like the whole process in general becomes more accessible for just anyone who wants to participate. So I understand when people who are working in a closed source companies, they say that it's easier to wade through such big exercises because there's certain blind spots that are not always accounted for there. And you only get to see the difference when you actually get to experience this other side where you see the different data set and you see the authenticity in the information that you receive when doing things this other way. A good example that I can give you is for most of our big changes that we make, they don't have to be like really big features, but if we have enough evidence to suggest that there's going to impact a substantial percentage of user base, we just create an open feedback issue and we just add a banner to that particular location in the product. And it just helps people participate, come and provide their feedback and also engage in a discussion with the product team that is actually responsible for creating that thing. That's one. And I know that can also be like too late sometimes. So whenever we are doing a research or we are working on an issue or we are working in a design, we highlight them in something that we call kickoff meetings. So when a sprint or a milestone, what we call which is our monthly cadence, is about to begin. Like my product manager and I, we sit together, we record a video and we just like share it everywhere. That's highlighting things that we're about to start working on. And I know that practice in itself doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you combine open and when you make it more visible and discoverable for others to see, these two things combined, they make a lot of impact. They actually help users and community members engage in the product development flow when it really matters. So we are enabling them to come into the conversation at a time when their feedback or their insights can be most impactful. You're giving the community, through the power of having an open source contribution to the design process, you're giving them the ability to recognize that when they have a problem, it's not just them sitting alone in the dark and hoping that someone on the other side of things will ask them for their feedback, but rather not only creating a more accessible path to solving their problems, but also giving them the agency to do so when they see fit. How do you cultivate an attitude like that in your community? How do you motivate that to happen? It takes time. I have seen a lot of things change at GitLab in the three years that I've been here, and I totally see us learning from different experience that we go through and learning scum, I think, every month in some way. So first of all, we have to be very intentional about what is it that we are seeking from our community. And when we are encouraging them to make contributions to GitLab, then what is it that we are doing from our side to make sure that their time is not going to be wasted, that the energy and effort they're putting is not going to be wasted. And in fact, 
how can we enable them to sort of amplify the value that they're trying to add to the product? So at first, I myself, I had no idea how to do that. When I had to go and review a community contribution, I would mostly think about it as I just have to look at the whole experience of what the workflow that they're proposing is going to look like. Are there any UI changes and all of that? By doing that more and more in my work, I learned that's not it. I probably have to think beyond just reviewing it as someone who's coming just to take a look if things are fine. But rather, I should create pockets in the product development workflow for them to take part in the process much before it comes to getting translated into a code contribution. Because that way, if later we figure out that it's something that doesn't really align, that it's not something that our users actually would like to have in the product, we are not just scrapping that contribution. It shouldn't come to that. So to avoid that last minute conflict, we learned that it's best to start engaging them much earlier in the process. And that is always beneficial for both, like for the team that's kind of trying to develop a feature as well as the individual who's trying to make a contribution. So it's in everybody's uh, interest. I have some more questions around context of what you do at GitLab. To start, how many users does GitLab have? 30 million plus. Cool. So that's a lot of people who may have potential opinions on how something should be done. In your bio, you said that you're specifically focusing on continuous integration in DevOps. Are there, how many designers are there on your team? I think in the CICD UX, we are four designers at the moment. Do you know how many designers there are across the company? The number keeps fluctuating, so I might not be updated exactly how many, maybe 30 plus. So there's some knowledge around how designers are put into the workflow. Is there anything you can tell us about how designer input is utilized or taken account for within developer teams at GitLab? Are you coming in after the fact or are you helping out to figure out the entire process? So we have a product development flow laid out. And I mean, in GitLab, one thing that I really appreciate is our public handbook. So every all the information is available for just anyone who wants to take a look at it. So we have this publicly documented product development flow at GitLab has two tracks to it. One is the validation track and then the other one is the build track. So in the validation track, it's the product manager and the designer. They usually like collaborate to make sure that the problem that they're going to work on is kind of validated. And if any research is required, we do that before things are moved to the build track. And that means all the validation work has been done before things are moved into development. But this is a very formal bifurcation in the process. But in both of these phases, the interaction between the entire development team and the product team, it just goes on continuously. They are part of everything. In fact, uh, some of the engineers that I work with, they also take part in the user researches that I do. So we work very closely. And then UX also reviews all the development MRs, like we take the branch and on our local GitLab development kit, we just check out the branch and check out what changes are being introduced. Actually testing them so that we are aware of every small little thing that is being changed or introduced and whether or not we are shipping an experience that's acceptable and if that has any unprecedented 
impact on anything else that's not intentional for pointing that out. So it's all kind of built in. And that's what I really appreciate that UX is also like the development and the design process is so interlaced that there's no clear differentiation. We work closely from like start to the end of the process. Just to follow up on that, all designers that work on GitLab products, they like employed and then do you have like volunteer designers? How is the collaboration between those volunteer designers and employed designers of GitLab? Most designers, from my knowledge, who are working on different problems at this moment, they are employed by GitLab. But we do have contribution guidelines, which are very specific to UX as well. So if you go to contribution guidelines for GitLab, you would see that there's guidelines for development, guidelines for adding to the docs. Then for the UX though, I think the process, and we've re-looked at it, there's a conversation going on how to make it easier for someone coming from the outside to contribute to the design process. We are working on it. We are trying to simplify it, but it's really difficult because the problem space is so technical and so like, I would say complex that even for the designers who are working for these state groups since a couple of years, it has taken a lot of time for them to educate themselves on how to make best decisions in this particular space. So we are looking at what are the ways in which we can enable designers coming from the outside to pick up things which are in a state where or have requirements that do not like they're not they don't feel compelled to educate themselves a lot or spend their time learning about a lot of things before they can make a meaningful contribution. So we spend some time and we really try to do an overhaul of how we laid out our guidelines for UX contribution. And at some point it felt to us that maybe it's, if you go on adding issues with this label, it's actually misleading for the people who are trying to come here and like take up an issue and like make a contribution because it would demand a lot of time from the contributor. And that's not what we intend to do. So this is still a work in progress, unfortunately, but it's something that our leadership is definitely looking at, like how to simplify this, how to actually find a space and how to actually find opportunities within the issues here where designers can come and make an impact. That said, we do have pajamas design system. And I think that is the space where that sees higher number of design contributions. And now the GitLab platform as such. Pajamas has its own like website where there is a page that talks about how to contribute to Pajamas design system. And if a designer wants to make a contribution, that's a project that I would share with them because it's an easier space. It's a familiar space for designers, a design system. And they would not have to go through many hoops and things don't get complicated as it could get when we are talking about GitLab as a product. Okay, that's cool. I think I appreciate the efforts GitLab is putting into like making design accessible to like volunteers and also that onboarding system. I think I don't see a lot of it in open source projects that take that time out to document design process for design contributors. So I think that's a good path. That's something worth working towards. So yeah, it's a really hard space though. I'm actually curious about the hardness of it. it. To me, it sounds really difficult to organize 
a sprint or something and have designers and do user reviews, but then someone's going to be pissed off. And it's got to be really hard to deal with users when the entire process is open. You can't lean on the closed. Well, this is how we do it and we're done, right? You have to be able to say, no, we, you have this, you could have voiced your opinions here, here, and here. Is there anything you do to mitigate blowback from design decisions that aren't popular? They still happen after so many years. And uh, (laughs) I'll be honest, I don't think there is any way to mitigate that. But yes, I mean, I would say looking at the bright side, I think it has made me a better communicator, especially on issues and asynchronously like writing comments. I'm a better communicator that way that I always make sure that whenever I am expressing my opinion or providing a feedback or just making suggestions, I always back them with evidences, with like credible reasons and don't just shoot in the dark. And I think communication is a very critical skill for a designer and uh, engaging with the community. It definitely like makes you a better communicator, therefore a better designer, in my opinion. When you have design contributions to things like pajamas design, also, where does that name come from? There's another question that I'm sure that we could get an answer to and go down long rabbit holes for, but when you're receiving contributions and evaluating them for the design for GitLab, what contributions are you attempting to solicit or try to encourage to receive from the community? For pajamas, there's the boundary to what the contributions can and cannot choose to contribute to. Because I think most of the designers, most of the product designers, they are pretty excited about design system in general. So this gives a lot of flexibility. Like you can either make a contribution to our guidelines or you can contribute a component. You can just make changes to how a component behaves. So there you can contribute to all parts of it. It's not just limited to very strictly that you have to, like your contribution has to translate into Figma component, but you can also like just go ahead and make edits to the guidelines that are associated with this on the pajamas website. And it's really easy. Like you just go to the bottom, there's a button that says open in web IDE. It opens in web IDE and you can just like make changes, create an MR and done. It's awesome that you can contribute directly and that you encourage designers to do so and that you also make this whole thing public. I think I've said that before, but that's still really, really cool and rare. You mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast that you looked around and GitLab was the main thing you found. It was just really difficult to find other open source design roles. So it's great to see that you're enabling other people to at least volunteer or start being helpful. I think Victory asked part of a question that I want to build on now, which is what do you think the barriers are for other companies to have open source design positions? Your experience that it was really difficult. So I'm just curious, what do you see are the main problems with people not hiring for these sorts of roles? And how can we make it better as a um, community? I think the main barrier is if an organization is not really practicing open source development methods, then they have no reason to actually have a designer that really cares for open source. It's only when they like live this ethos of uh, openness is when they get to realize the scale of the impact that this can bring to their business, not just to the community. And like talking about other barriers, I have been following like the open source discussions that happen in the forum. And I remember this discussion around who needs who do the open source projects need the designers or the designers need the open source project. I think really both need each other and we shouldn't go on for too long without realizing the need for this and organizations or even designers have to be of 
people have to meet halfway is what I keep saying that no change is going to happen on either of these sites overnight. Like designers won't start thinking in a very different way tomorrow. Neither would developers wake up with a completely different mindset tomorrow. But we all have this uh, responsibility to ensure that all the critical technologies that are being built in the open to prevent them from being used, like negatively used for the purpose of surveillance, monitoring by dictatorships, by kickistocracies, it being used in the wrong hands. It's our responsibility as designers to try to participate in the development process of such powerful technologies because we have the skill of asking the why, asking what's the core reason behind doing something. And we can't expect the developers, like the small group of developers who are already working their part for a project, but we can't only keep pointing fingers at others and not realize that it's also us who have a certain obligation towards the society, towards the larger good. And open source is probably the only way to make it happen at this point. Really, really well said. Really just phenomenal. I have a somewhat related question. You mentioned that it was hard to find other places other than GitLab doing what you're looking for three or four years ago. Have things changed? Do we see this more often now? Or are we still suffering from the same problems that we did three or four years ago? I think for mostly business reasons, this has definitely gotten better. I remember like in 2016, 17, I used to attend these open source conferences, sit in a corner, eat lunch alone because there were no other designers. <laughs> I really kind of hit a wall, like what conversation do I have with these people? I mostly do no one in those conferences. That's definitely improving. Like I see more designer participation everywhere that I go these days. And like I said, for business and financial reasons, larger organizations that can actually afford to are adopting open source methods. And that's why they're also trying to like communicate to community how seriously they're taking it. And besides that, the world I think is realizing the power of the technological solutions that have come out of this movement. And there's no proving that needs to be done anymore. So we originally scheduled this podcast to happen during the Penpot Festival, which was in my opinion, amazing. Uh, in Barcelona in June this year, Penpot Fest was a conglomeration of like 100 people all interested in design and open source all coming together in Barcelona. And it was really unique for that for me. I'm curious what your thoughts were of Penpot Fest as someone who mentioned that you used to sit in the corner. So it didn't seem like you were sitting in the corner this time. So how did you view it? Yeah, I was not sitting in a corner anymore. <laughs> and I actually shared this with someone yesterday at GitLab that this was really different. I usually attend conferences which are heavy on developer content or I attend conferences which are about UX and nobody really cares about openness in those circles. And this was the first time when I saw two of them coming together and a very different set of topics being discussed. And that gave me a lot of hope that we are definitely moving towards a good direction. What do you think is really exciting about design and open source right now that might happen in the next three to five years? What are you looking forward to and how are you hoping to change? I'm hoping for two changes. The first one is currently how open source projects are planned and worked on, like how 
developers and other people who are related to an open source project, how they think of a contribution, how they think of the solution that they're creating. Like they start thinking in a much deeper sense because we are slowly starting to see the socio-political impact of those small little decisions that are being made in the process and what kind of urgency that might bring. And the fact that can actually impact lives of real people if they get into the wrong hands and are used the wrong way. So I really hope that all of us, we collectively realize that it's not a mission that people with just uh, a particular skill set can lead and succeed in. We need to diversify the community that is behind open source projects. That's one. And secondly, I really hope that designers also understand the value of open source in general. I mean, it's happening slowly. It has already started to happen. And especially with uh, organizations like PenPart, this benefit is being highlighted right now. But I'm very curious, like if we talk about a product, let's say not like PenPart, which is not a tool for designers, it's let's say an AI technology would designers still take it seriously? Would that happen in future? I'm really curious to see that. And I hope that happens. I love that. Vitika, where can people follow you and your work on the web? My work, uh, I think GitLab is the best place to follow my work. Everything is being done in the open. So everything that I do is in my activity feed. And also I maintain my weekly priorities in the open. Like it's a list. So you actually get to see like which week I'm focusing on what items. I'm also on LinkedIn. I think that's too safe. And Mastodon as well. Cool. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. Don't leave yet, however. It's been an excellent conversation. I've really appreciated you having on. And now is the time where we give back a bit more to the people and projects which have helped us. That's right. It's Spotlight, that thing we do at the end of every show where we highlight people, projects, things that we think just need a bit more light shed on them. Django, what is your Spotlight today? Kind of an interesting one, and it is actually relevant to a bunch of things that we've talked about today, being both navigation away from jobs that we don't like towards jobs that we do, as well as designers maybe not always realizing that what they're doing is fully in the spirit of the open. And so there are several designers who I've been, or more importantly, design managers, who I've been linked up with partially due to the fact that I'm currently on the job market. And what they do is they manage these massive notion boards and other collections, other repositories of information for people who are looking to pivot into the world of design. And it's so strange to me when I speak sometimes to designers who say like, well, I don't understand why open source would really benefit design when in fact they are utilizing sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of different public open sources of information to assist them in nearly everything they do. And so I'm not putting words in the mouth of Rory Colgan, who has a massive list that he updates on Notion that he has on his LinkedIn page. It's pinned. It's called Helpful Resources for Design Job Seekers. But he is a hiring director. He helps people find jobs in Berlin. That's a city that I've been looking at. And he has examples of successful portfolios, examples of successful case studies, articles on developing and building out your portfolio, as well as questions, interview questions, and just about everything. I mean, it's this massive list. And 
there's so much of that in the online design community. And I think if we start pointing out that like, hey, that's something that you can do on GitHub as well. You can publish that here. You can publish that in all of these places. I just think that's wonderful. So yeah, Rory Colgan, thank you for everything you do. Love that. Grateful and useful. Victory, what is your spotlight today? My spotlight would be Chaos Africa. I think helping open source design Africa and like the designers in Africa contribute to open source has been quite hectic. I mean, we reached out to like a few projects and a lot of them haven't been like positive feedbacks because of the onboarding of designers. I know Vitika talked about how like having how challenging it is to keep new contributors, new designers contributing to get up to date with like the processes contribution. I think that's a challenge that we have in open source. Between Open Source Design Africa, which is a chapter that I'm leading for the open source design, and then Chaos Africa, which is led by Ruth Ikega, we've been able to find a balance and like help onboard designers and then have them contribute to Chaos Africa because Chaos Africa is an ongoing project. Like they're working on projects, research and all of that. So we've just been able to form a partnership. I would just like to like spotlight that project. Chaos Africa community and projects. Excellent. Thank you so much, Victory. I'm going to spotlight Leuchtturm 1917 journals. Recently switched to a Leuchtturm dot journal from a traditional moleskin, which I finally finished after three years. And I was worried that the lines were going to be offsetting. But honestly, it's really nice to write in the dot journal. It feels a bit more free. And I've decided recently to stop trying to separate my to-do list from my journal. Because let's face it, they're really the same thing. My mind doesn't really work in multiple tracks. And this way, I only have one thing to carry around. So Loic Term 1917 Journals, highly suggest for the creative in you. Loic Term, if you want to get in touch about sponsorship, please let me know. Okay, Vitika, what's yours? I think I would really want to talk about Creative Commons. They're now working with a new theme, which is AI and the Commons. And I would really want to bring this to everybody's attention because even though I feel that the Creative Commons licenses are... Like so important when it comes to art and design, I see very less participation as compared to educators and lawyers and like writers in this space. So yeah, please go to the Creative Commons website, become a part of your local uh, Creative Commons network if possible, and engage in the conversations that are happening. Okay, cool. So thank you, sure. Excellent. Creative Commons is the best. Lawrence, thank you for your work. Everyone else who contributed, thank you as well. I'm not on first name basis with Lawrence Lessig. That would be really nice. Vitika, it was really great to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to have a longer podcast with you. This is pretty much the last of the PenPot podcasts. They were super exciting and really great to be able to just have this perspective on the design community today. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, there's a lot of things you can do. First, like it wherever you have listened to it. Apple, Spotify, whatever you want. Two, get in contact with us. Email podcast at sustainoss.org. That'll go to all the hosts. And it'd be really, really dope to basically hear your thoughts and complaints. We can improve. We can do better. If you think there's other people we should have in this podcast, let us know who they are. I would love to have more people on. And this podcast in particular isn't booked out. We would love to have more people. If you know designers and open source, H-U-U, that would be great. Who? You can also donate. Go to opencollective.com slash sustainoss. We would love to have more funds to actually keep this going. If you want to donate as a business, that would also be super dope. If you need any marketing stuff to help convince your boss that it's worth donating, I will send it to you post haste. So please go ahead and do that. 
Finally, you can join in the conversations on the discourse, either at sustainableaccess.org or at the open source design website, where we also have this community. This is the dual open source design slash sustain podcast. Pizika, who is very clever and smart and had an amazing podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. And we hope that you continue to do well. Take care. 